As you're seated, we're happy that you're here. We're grateful for the time we have. If you'll turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, what we'd like to do is walk through together the two main Christmas passages in the Gospels from Matthew and Luke. But our focus together may be a little different than what we're used to, what we usually do. Let's pray before we get started. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word made flesh, our Savior, our God, our Lord. We praise you for his birth. We, we praise you for his life, his death, his resurrection. God, thank you for the gospel, the good news of great joy. We pray that you would teach us and that we would go away from here this morning changed, glorifying you, worshiping you, serving others, fellowshipping with your people, loving those around us in Jesus' name. Well, many times when we read these Christmas accounts of everything that God did to bring about the fullness of time, as Pastor Kyle read from Galatians this morning, for Jesus to be born, we focus on these vast, big picture, amazing miracles in time and space. We look at the miraculous, the wonderful things that God did to bring about our salvation with Jesus being born, the beginning of it. And all of that is absolutely true. It's absolutely wonderful. It is glorifying to God. All of the work that he did that was amazing, that was miraculous, that it was was exactly the right moment in history for everything to come about, God is greatly to be praised for all that he did in bringing all of this to happen and the salvation that Jesus earned for us and paid for us. But sometimes we can get so caught up in all of the miraculous that we lose sight of the ordinary, the daily, the day by day. We can get so captivated by the fulfillment of prophecy that led to Joseph and Mary being in Bethlehem for Jesus' birth at just the right time, the virgin conception of Jesus, God's sovereign protection of that family so that they moved to Egypt so that Herod wouldn't be able to kill the baby, the magi coming at just the right time. Those are all real and true, and they deserve recognition and praise to God. But we can leave out deserved praise for God when we miss how He works outside of miracles, how He works in His providence to bring about His will through the ordinary, the daily, when there are no miracles. You know, sometimes we even start to think, why isn't God working? (laughs) You know, when we don't see miracles, when we don't see the the big, amazing movements of God to to bring about nations and to bring about all of the things to happen all together in the big picture of the world, we start to think, you know, where is God? Why isn't He working? How come I don't see Him or know how He's working? I need a miracle. I need to see a miracle. And there are times when there really is no other explanation than God intervening directly in a miracle in our life. We really just, uh, many times medically, the doctors will say, I don't know. It must have been a miracle from God, right? But much, much more often, God is working in the normal to bring about exactly what He desires. And His work in the ordinary, in the normal, is no less praiseworthy to God than when He works in the miraculous. See, we can and we should be recognizing His supernatural works as well as His natural works and be amazed be astounded, praise Him, adore Him for how He works in every way, all the time, not just in the special ways. 
To me, it seems more amazing, even more amazing that God controls every part of creation all of the time than that he occasionally intervenes in miraculous ways. To me, it just seems more amazing because he's all-powerful. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. Of course, he can raise the dead, right? Of course, he can heal people. Of course, he can do those things that he did. Jesus did those in the Gospels. But think about this. He's so all-powerful that he can, he's in control when the ant crawls onto your foot and takes a bite. <laughs> he's in control even of that. When you lose your job, when you get a new job, when the milk runs out, when nothing particularly different or unusual happens at all, God's in control, and he's working in the usual. When you get up for work and you go to work and it's a bad day or a good day or just regular day, Nothing good or bad happens. When you get home and there's chaos for you or things are just run of the mill, God is ruling on his throne and he's orchestrating everything to bring about his will, his purposes for his glory, even when there doesn't seem to be anything happening at all. See, that's even more amazing to me than when he does miraculous things. And I I don't mean to take anything away from his miracles. Those are powerful. Those are amazing. But his Daily, his hourly, his microsecond control and care for us in his sovereign providence is striking to me as worthy of recognition and praise. And that's no less true in the Christmas accounts. So I'd like to walk through these two accounts as we have in Scripture in in Matthew chapter 1 here and in Luke chapter 2 and focus a little bit less on the miraculous and more on the everyday. And the reason that I wanted to do this is so that we can better learn how to live in the light of Christmas all year long, not just at Christmas. Because too often we, lived, we live in a suspended state of expectation for miracles, right? Or, or something like, I need God to work. I need God to do something. I, I'm looking for God to, when He has been, and He is, and He will continue to work. Because it's the wrong way of looking at things to think, you know, I wish God was, would do something. I wish God was working when he always is. When we start to think that the normal everyday is just kind of the fate, the luck, the chance, whatever might happen, we're thinking like the world thinks, the world that doesn't know God. We're thinking the wrong way. But when we know God and he knows us as his children through Jesus, he calls us to think rightly about life, about what happens, and thinking about life is knowing God is God and I'm not, and he's in control and nothing happens outside of his will. So let's walk through this first account in Matthew chapter 1 with a focus on how God brought about the birth of our Savior, Lord, and the everyday miracles, and the everyday non-miracles. Chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now again, what jumps out to us, what jumps off the page is the virgin conception the angel appearing to Joseph, the fulfillment of prophecy that God will be with us, that's crucial to who Jesus is, God with us, that he will save his people from their sins. But let's, no, let's notice the ordinary as God comes to be with us as us. Two young people, Mary and Joseph, are in love. That's normal, right? Actually, whether they're in love or not, their marriage was most likely arranged most marriages at the time were arranged. Sometimes the bride and groom would never even have met until they were to be married. Now, regardless of whether Mary and Joseph were complete strangers or knew each other before they were pledged to be married, they were now engaged, and engagement at the time was much stronger than it is today. It was legally binding in marriage already, even though they hadn't completed the, the wedding ceremony. And so it was a situation of trusting somebody that you didn't really know all that well yet, trusting for them to be faithful during this time. And it was during this time that apparently it looked like Mary had not been faithful. And she's pregnant and not by Joseph. So in a moment, the plans, the life that they had together, the dreams and the hopes that they had seemed to be completely destroyed for Joseph in his mind by unfaithfulness. And so he starts thinking in his mind, how do I move on with my life? How do I get going? How, I need to start making plans without Mary. And he had two choices. He could have exposed her for her infidelity and, and ruined her family's reputation and, and her reputation. But because he was a just man, he decided to do it quietly. Divorce is the only option in his mind, and we're going to do it quietly. Now, as we focus on Joseph for a minute, we can imagine the heartbreak, the anger, the disappointment, everything that's going on for Joseph in his mind at that time. You know, God, why is this happening? How could you let this happen? How could this happen to me, to us? Now, part of the miracles we note is the angel explaining to Joseph and Joseph believing that it was God's son within Mary. That was, that's, praise God for that miracle. But what's less miraculous is here at the end, verses 24 and 25, Joseph took his wife, that is, they get married, but, verse 25, knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So that is to say they got married and then they did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born. Now, she could have been up to three months pregnant by the time that they, they get married. So, so we might be able to imagine the shock, the disappointment that Joseph had at first. But imagine living in the light of Christmas as Joseph. Who's going to believe this story that this son is born by God you know, Joseph, this, this boy doesn't look much like you. Uh, yeah, well, you know, that's, he's God's son, <laughs> right? Who's going to believe this story? And then every day for the first six months of your marriage, you cannot be intimate with your wife because she's carrying a baby that's not yours. Every day for the rest of your life, you've got this controversy over your family. Oh, that's that family. <laughs> They've got that son. And then after he's born, when you might want things just to settle down, to quiet down for you and your family, continuing in Matthew, what happens here is you've got strangers showing up bringing gold and expensive spices and retracting all the wrong attention like Herod, who wants to come out and murder this baby. So you have to uproot your family and move to Mexico. Uh, they move to Egypt. <laughs> 
but we're trying to imagine what this might have been like, right? So, so move to a different country. They don't speak the same language. It's hard, right? You're moving to a different country. They live there for a time until Herod dies. They move back, and when they do, they come to Nazareth, where nobody thinks anything good can come from. Joseph then begins work as a carpenter or mason. The word can be either working with stone or wood, maybe both. And he begins teaching his foster son or his adoptive son, Jesus, the family business. Not really sure of what life is going to look like because he knows that this son has a much bigger mission than learning his carpentry or masonry. Sometime before Jesus' 30th birthday, God calls Joseph home to heaven, we, we believe, because he disappears from the account. But that's what it was like for Joseph to live in the light of Christmas. He had the miracle at first of the angel telling him to take Mary as his wife, warning him of Herod's plans, telling him it's time to go back. But he did not have angels constantly helping him, directing him in his life, directing him to raise Jesus or the other children that he and Mary would have. He didn't have gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh being dropped off every Christmas, right? (laughs) Nothing else that was miraculous or wonderful. But every day that Joseph lived, he lived in the light of Christmas. And even if it wasn't easy, it wasn't an easy life for Joseph necessarily, he wasn't rich. He was a sinful man raising a sinless boy. He might not, might not ever have seen Jesus turn water into wine. That was his first miracle, first sign that he did. He may never even have seen that, let alone anything else that Jesus did, yet he lived in the daily life in the light of Christmas for his entire life. As you and I live in the light of Christmas, we may never see a miracle for ourselves. We may never receive a miracle, but God calls us to live in the light of His Son's birth in whatever way He's called us to be and to live because He is working in our life. He's working in every moment of our life, bringing exactly what we need for His glory. Well, there's more we could talk about here in Matthew, but let's turn over to Luke chapter 2, and we'll continue walking through the Christmas story and the everyday part of God's redeeming work in the life of His people. In Luke chapter 2, in verses 1 through 5, we see the census called by Caesar Augustus, the Jewish people going back to their homeland to perform their duties, and that meant Joseph and Mary travel back to Bethlehem. Luke 2 verse 6 says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now try to imagine you're Mary, a young woman who is pregnant, about to give birth to a child who is not your husband's. You've traveled about 90 miles on foot while pregnant. You give birth among the animals, laying the baby in the feeding trough because the guest room of the house you're staying in was occupied. What might your thoughts be at that moment? Mary has been told by an angel that this boy is Lord and Savior. His name will be Jehovah Saves. That's what Jesus means. Jehovah Saves. He will be great, the angel said. He will be the Son of the Most High. The angel said he will be king. He will sit on David's throne. His kingdom will never end. And here we are in this stable giving birth to this baby among animals, laying him in a feeding trough because there's no room for us. 
Not only that, but in a few verses, they're going to the temple to offer the sacrifice that God says for them to offer when they have a baby boy. But they're going to use the poor family exception clause (laughs) rather than the regular offering commandment from God. He says, if you can't afford a lamb and a turtle dove or pigeon, then just bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, and that's what they bring. And yet, never once do we hear Mary complaining about what she thinks is supposed to happen, right? Isn't life supposed to be different? I just gave birth to the Son of God. <laughs> I mean, He's, he's going to reign on David's throne forever. Shouldn't it be different? Never once do we see her get extra help as a mother either, do we? In fact, when Jesus is 12, Mary and Joseph are going to have one of those embarrassing parent moments where they look around and, (laughs) wait a minute, where's Jesus, right? And they have to go back to Jerusalem to where he is. But what is Mary's life like living in the light of Christmas? Is it easy? For the years that she lives, is it easy? Is it glamorous? No, it's as a mother. It's as a mother. Now, notice I did not say just as a mother just as a mother. Mothers, living as a mother in light of Christmas all year long is not living just as a mom or just as a wife. See, there is no such thing as just anything or just somebody when we live for Christ, just a construction worker, just a custodian, just a CEO, just a mom or a dad. Mary lived to be a mother to Christ, but mothers are called today to live as mothers for Christ to their children, as our fathers called to be fathers for Christ to their children. And living for Christ in the light of the Christ of Christmas is often not glamorous or easy. You can talk to mothers. It's not full of miracles or wonders. Sometimes it's just gross. (laughs) It's long hours and it's demanding, but it's a calling to faithfulness and hope and joy. See, it's tempting for mothers, it's tempting for fathers, it's tempting when you're at work to see life as a drudgery, when you're going to school day after day. It's a chore, it's boring, it's not rewarding, it's demanding, it's not even appreciated. But when what God says is important becomes important to us, and we have joy in that, we begin living a life of faithfulness in the light of the Christ of Christmas as we change each diaper in each moment of nap time and meal time, fun times, and tantrums. (laughs) You say, wait a minute, Jesus never threw a tantrum because He was perfect. And you are absolutely right, but Mark 6 tells us that Jesus' half-brothers were James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, plus sisters, plural, so he had to have at least two sisters. So that was six children on top of Jesus, and none of those six were perfect. (laughs) See, for Mary, living in light of Christmas, Jesus' birth was a life calling to faithfulness of everyday reality that she needed to trust God with Jesus. She needed to trust God with her family, with herself, and she experienced the miraculous for a short time. But then she experienced the unremarkable for a really long time. And it even included apparently being widowed. Again, Joseph disappears after a few years. But she lived through the daily activities long after the miracles. If we think it's hard sometimes living without miracles, try to imagine what it might have been like to have those miracles, God directly intervening in your life, and you know that it's only Him that could do it, and then He doesn't do it anymore. 
Might that be a little bit more difficult? You know, if it were me, and, and I know myself pretty well in some ways, I think if I had seen God working in miraculous ways, I would think, you know, God, you did it before. How come you're not doing it now? Right? Where, where's my miracle now? I might start demanding that. Instead, I look back at my life and I see His clear work of His providence, His hand over my life every minute of every day without even needing to use miracles. It's amazing, this God. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, right? Thank you, mothers and fathers, for your faithfulness, for all that you do when nobody notices, no one seems to care, and everybody around you is looking down on you for being a mother, for being a stay-at-home mother, a homemaker, a, a, a wife, a homebound father, a, a man who doesn't go out after work, whatever that it is that you're being looked down on for trying to live for Christ in everyday moments. We need to learn to see all of the challenges, all of our successes, all of our troubles, every time of peace, every time of trouble and hardship as God's work in our life every day, all day, all the time, rather than only working for the phenomenal. Never discount the faithfulness of God, His constant goodness to you and to your family. That goes for the single person awaiting God's providence for a spouse. That goes for direction for people as they maintain purity. That goes for students going to school, not sure of what's going to happen next. Trust in the Lord who does wonders, who does amazing, miraculous things, and who works in every moment, every day in His providence. Next here in Luke chapter 2 are the shepherds in verses 8 through 20. They said, shepherds, who are they? Well, they're the dirty, smelly guys that are always with the sheep. <laughs> You'd hardly ever come into contact with a shepherd if you lived at the time because they were always out in the field. And if you did come in contact with them, you would look at them like this and kind of step away because they're not trustworthy. You don't know them. Nobody knows them. They're, they're, they're never around. They can't even come to the worship services because they're always out with the sheep. So nobody knows them, nobody trusts them. They're not even allowed to be witnesses in court. If they see somebody commit a, 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 a criminal act, they can't be a... Or if they see somebody that's falsely accused, they can't come witness and testify. Nobody trusts them. So yeah, we see this miracle of the angel coming to announce the birth of Christ to these shepherds, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. It's an exciting time. It's amazing. And then the whole multitude of the heavenly host comes out of nowhere in the fields of Bethlehem, right? And they're singing the, the praises of God. The shepherds drop everything, and they run, and they go see the baby. Verse 20 says, they glorified and praised God for all they had seen and heard, and then they returned. They went back. They just went back to their sheep. They saw the baby, but it's going to be 30 years before Jesus is even going to start his ministry. It's going to be 33 and a half years before he dies and rises again. So what does it look like for the shepherds who saw the baby Jesus to live in the light of his birth at Christmas? They had to hope in the promise of God through the angels without seeing a single sign without seeing a, a single wonder or miracle for the rest of their life, even when they were too old to watch sheep anymore. They may have passed away even before Jesus began his ministry. So for the shepherds, their regular ordinary life, which was despised by other people, was interrupted briefly by God's miraculous work. But outwardly, nothing for them changed at all. We don't see them changing careers. We don't see them writing a book about their experience and getting rich, right? Right? 
We don't see their life getting easier. Nobody even actually starts to respect them that we, that we know about. In fact, people probably didn't even believe their story except Mary and Joseph. They went back to their life, but now living inwardly changed because of the hope and the joy of knowing that God was bringing salvation in this baby, even if they would never see it all happen for themselves. Now, we could go on and look in detail at Simon and Anna here in Luke 2 as they're in the temple. Only briefly instead, old man Simon was told by God the Holy Spirit, you're going to see the Messiah before you pass away. And so he's lived his entire life being faithful without ever seeing the Messiah. Finally, he sees the Messiah, here's his chance, and he's a baby. He's an infant. And now all Simon knows for sure is, I don't have much time left. (laughs) That's all he knew for sure left after that. Anna served in the temple as a widow, never leaving the temple, it says, for the past 84 years, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. She comes into where Jesus is in the temple at that very hour, giving thanks to God. But it was her daily life of faithfulness and worship and service to God that was typical of her life. The only miracle she got to see was the little baby. She never saw the angels singing, and she didn't see any kind of miraculous things, just this little baby. Simon and Anna are just two more examples of people who lived in this truly miraculous time of God becoming man, but who lived every day in the normal, the ordinary, the natural. Now, the supernatural event of Jesus being born affected every person for the rest of their natural life, but it was that life that was lived in regular, ordinary moments that captures our attention this year. And brothers and sisters, we haven't even looked at the life of Jesus. His life on earth for the first 30 years was a life of ordinary. We don't see a single miracle. We don't have a single account of, an, of a miraculous touchdown pass by Jesus, a walk-off home run. We don't, we don't I mean, you know, track and field trophies, nothing. We don't have any of that. We don't have accounts of flawless dressers that he made, you know, that never fell apart with his apprenticeship, with his father as a carpenter. We don't have any of that. Even when he began his ministry and he did those miracles, those signs, those wonders, none of them benefited him, did they? They were all for for others' sake because he had compassion on them and because they proved his message that he had come to save us from our sins. Jesus And his life was tired, he was hungry, he was thirsty. Jesus' life, Jesus himself lived his daily life in faithfulness to his Father. Most of the time outside of the miraculous. And during his life he faced every kind of temptation that any of us will ever face. Yeah, he didn't only just face Satan three times right before he started his ministry. He was tempted every second of the day like we are, yet he never one time fell into sin. It is miraculous that Jesus, as God, became man. And that deserves all of the praise and all of the thankfulness and worship that we can ever give now and forever. But also, the praise and worship goes to him because of the fact that every second of every hour of every day of his life, he lived it perfectly in God's will perfectly fulfilling the law of God because he loved others more than himself and he loved his father more than anyone or anything all of the time. Even when there was no food, even when there was no water, even when there was no sleep, even when people called him a liar, 
a blasphemer, a criminal, even when he was rejected and humiliated in every way that people could imagine. Jesus lived his entire life in the light of Christmas, his own birth. And it was just as miraculous as it was normal. And then at the end, he took the sins of every person who would ever believe in him as Lord, as Savior, as Christ. He took those sins upon himself and paid the penalty for them, and he died. He suffered, and he was humiliated, and he died, all because of God's plan to save us that he came willingly to complete. And then he arose from the grave. The miracles of Jesus, living perfectly, dying to pay for my sins and yours, if you will believe, rising again, those are the good news. That's the gospel. But it was paved by a life of ordinary living supernaturally, perfectly, And it will be a life of ordinary until Jesus returns as He promised for us. A life of ordinary. So what does it look like for us? How do we live in the light of Christmas all year long? Well, we we have an application section in our notes. Jesus, the light of the world, the light of Christmas, came to be born on earth as a human being, and He did that so that you and I can be saved. He lived a perfect life since you and I can't, and every moment of his life, from the high times to the low times, he lived for the glory of his Father. No matter what he did, no matter where he went, he saw everything differently. He saw everything. No matter where he went, he saw things, he spoke differently, he acted differently, acted differently. He saw everything through the lens of his Father's will, which he's given to us here. That's how we need to live. That's how we need to think and how we need to filter everything through as well, how we need to speak and how we need to act. And that's how we can live in the light of Christmas all year long. We call it abiding in Christ instead of living in the light of Christmas. So first in your notes, come to Christ. If you've not come to Christ, we again invite you to come to know this Christ, to come to Him as Savior, as Lord, and then abide in Christ. In our notes, abide in Christ. Stay there in Him. Here's some of what it looks like. Do you want to go to heaven? The only other option is hell, a place of God's eternal wrath. Heaven is the place of God's glory. Heaven is a place of, of joy and peace, and there's no sin, there's no suffering, there's no tears. We'll worship our Savior and our Lord. We'll learn more about Him and His grace toward us forever. It's going to take us forever to figure out how much grace and kindness God gave to us in Jesus. It would be so great to be in heaven right now, wouldn't it? We should look forward to heaven every minute, however we get there, whether through death or the rapture, but does that mean that we become useless until then? Absolutely not. Well, maybe that means we should fight about what it's going to look like and and how it's going to happen that we're going to get there. Does it mean that we stop doing anything he told us to do? No. Paul says in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. He says, if I am to live in in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which to choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So yes, it would be wonderful to be in heaven right now. But until he says it's time, he's got us here. We remain here, which means fruitful labor. That's what he calls us to. It's more necessary for the sake of those around me that I be here, and it's more necessary for the sake of people around you that you be here 
serving, and loving. And see, that's a total and complete contrast to the way that we're raised in this world to view our life. It's my life. I do what I want when I want, right? I say what I want, go where I want, do what I want. In Christ, we live for Him, for His glory, and we serve others. 2 Corinthians 5 says, whether we are home or away, whether we're alive or dead, wherever we are, we make it our aim to please Him. That's how we live when we're living in Christ, abiding in Christ, living in the light of Christmas. See, in our life, we may want to do great things. We may want to do amazing things and and miracles even be a part of that if, if, if God would allow we may think it means that, you know, if I'm going to glorify God, i got to go into full-time ministry. We might think that's what God would notice and be pleased with, great things and amazing things and full-time ministry. But He's pleased. He's pleased when He works through ministry. He's pleased when He works through full-time ministry and, and miracles, but He's also much more commonly pleased with a life of His children being lived for Him every moment. You see, because Jesus was born as a human being, He lived like us, when we live like Him, that's what's pleasing to the Lord. Working, parenting, living as husband and wife, faithfully serving the Lord and His people, teaching the children His Word and His ways, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, growing in holiness and love, that's what pleases God in the second by second, hour by hour daily life living for Him. That's what glorifies Him. He's taking a sinner who could do nothing but sin and turning that person into a saint. That's an amazing miracle. (laughs) And it doesn't feel like it in the minute by minute. But that's what he's doing. It's really easy to be like Balaam in the Old Testament. Balaam heard the oracles of God. He spoke for God. He actually, God actually gave him his words and he spoke. He saw uh, the angel of the Lord. He heard a donkey speak to him. He saw miracles, right? I mean, there was a miraculous stuff going on for Balaam, but what did he, what was he? He was an idol worshiper and a non-believer. He lived his way, his life that way before and after everything that he saw. It would be too easy to see the healings and the miracles of Jesus and the casting out demons that Jesus did and the miracles of Christmas, but then just go on living life as if it didn't matter, not believing him, not living for him. But when you come to Jesus, when you come to Him as your Lord and your Savior, life is no longer a drudgery. It's no longer a bore or something you just bear with until the next miracle comes along. Life becomes the only thing you can offer your Savior who gave His life for yours. Living every minute for Him is more important even than trying to do great things. And we can do great things for God. I don't want to take that away from any of us. If we have hopes and dreams of just doing miraculous things, that's great, but we can't do less than what He's called us to. And He's not going to entrust us to do great things if we're not doing the little things, minute by minute living for Him. Even, even according to 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So when you wake up in the morning and you go to eat your Cheerios... I'm doing this for the glory of God. Why am I going to eat this meal? Because I'm hungry. No, it's because I need energy so I can keep serving God, so I can keep doing what He's told me to do, so I can keep serving those people around me and loving those people around me. Instead of going to sleep because I'm tired, no, I'm going to sleep so I can wake up refreshed, re-energized, ready to serve the Lord. 
And all of that's only possible because Jesus was born at Christmas. And then he lived his perfect life, and then he died to pay for my sins and rose from the grave and saved me in his grace. So now that every part of my life is not a drudgery or a chore or a bore, it's for his glory. That's how we live in the light of Christmas. That's how we abide in Christ. Every part of our life is for his usefulness, for his glory, for the fame of Jesus. Finally, in our notes, live for Christ. There's no mundane. There's no mom, just a mom, just an employee, just a kid, just a student. We are living as children of the King of Kings for his glory. Father, we praise you for this truth. God, we thank you. We rejoice in you. God, we find our hope and our peace and our joy in this message of Christ Jesus, this person of Jesus as the Word becoming flesh, living a perfect life for us. God, every, every moment that he was breathing, every moment that he was eating and drinking and working, he did it for you. Father, thank you for his perfect life. Thank you that he was born God, we praise you for that, not just at Christmas and and not just the day after Christmas, but God, every day of our life, we praise you and we exalt your name in the name of our Savior. God, I pray that you would teach us to live each moment for him, whether we're eating or drinking, whether we're sleeping or working, when we're teaching, when we're not, and just listening. God, I pray that all that we do would be done with the name of Jesus in our mind, with his will, his purpose, his glory. God, we want to be with you. We look forward to his return. God, we thank you and praise you for the promises that we have and that we hold on to in him. Lord, we pray that that would change us to to become more like our Savior, our Lord. For his glory and his name's sake, amen.